Next, you're invited to The Uninvited, today's story of Thunderbirds. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it Chris Robbie with a jetpack? Well, no, actually it isn't any of those things. It's Michael Crawford, and he's talking about his new role as Condor Man to Chris Kelly in Clapperboard at 11.30. But right now, it's time for us to join the Thunderbirds. Good old Southern Television, eh? From Saturday the 20th of June, 1981, just in case you were wondering the date of that broadcast of Thunderbirds and The Uninvited at 10.35 in the morning. I'm Roz and welcome to another Fanderson podcast. This is Fanderson podcast number seven. And what's coming up in this edition? Collecting film and TV music is just as popular as ever, but are CDs still as collectible now as they were 20 or 30 years ago? I'll be chatting with Silver Screen's David Stoner. And later on, Peter Duncan, actor and former Blue Peter presenter, drops in to chat about his experience on Space 1999. So let's start the drums rolling, strap into the cockpit seat. Let's launch Fanderson podcast number seven. Fanderson podcast number seven. We always like to invite great guests onto it, and uh, this time is no exception. I'm joined today by David Stoner, who's the director of label and licensing at Silver Screen Records Limited, and also Tim Mallet, who's a producer. We've worked together before, and obviously today we want to talk about music CDs, music releases and uh, David perhaps I can start with you, I mean I've got some silver screen this, yeah. is, this is one of yours isn't it this this Thunderbirds oh one from <laughs> ages back, yes. uh, I bet this takes us back a bit well that was the 40th anniversary that's uh, right, Thunderbirds release that was yes, yeah not many of those knocking around now I have to tell you no I bet they turn up on eBay and places like that now don't they uh, yeah, and is that one still shrink wrapped? It looks like it might be. No, this one, this one is open. I have played it many times, and uh, <laughs> <All right. laughs> and I've got some others here as well, some non-Anderson titles. So Thunderbird's 40th anniversary. Here's a non-Anderson title for you. This one's called The Man <laughs> from Uncle, and uh, uh, that's Cult TV. Embarrassing that one. Cult TV classic. I love that one. Well, that you was can. Great. That was, I think that was my the first time I ever heard. Uh, the Tomorrow People, other than in an episode. It, it, yes, it was it quite a, nice, wasn't it? The full version of it. Yeah, and that's probably the best best track on there in terms of its rarity value, because that was the original Dudley Simpson version as well, I think. Yeah, Brilliant. incredible. Whereas all the other tracks on there were licensed from various other companies at the time. So probably as recordings, they were already known by, by the public. But um, 
yes, of course, we shamelessly used the man from Uncle Logo on the cover <laughs> just to get people to buy it. But uh, Right, and here's a set of three. One. Yeah, Lord. Two. And three. I've got the set of three silver screen prisoner ones because I'm a big fan of uh, the prisoner TV series starring Patrick McGowan and silver screen did a very nice job in releasing so much of the music from that series and uh, well we better talk about the company itself David and uh, I've read a little bit about the genesis it's film and TV music is what you cover how did you work out there was a market for it you would have to go back to the late 80s when the label first started and it started in quite a small way as an offshoot of a company that was more distribution and it was called Silver Productions and the focus of Silver Productions then was to import uh, and we're talking in the days of vinyl only import soundtracks and cast recordings from the US and feed the hungry shops of the West End in the days when there were a lot of record shops in the West End because you had Virgin, Our Price, HMV, Tower Records, and they would buy anything you could get. And by focusing solely on that genre, Silver Productions quickly became known as, as the go-to place. If there was a new cast recording, a new Sondheim show, always popular in London, and new soundtracks because in those days you had this situation which is hard to imagine now but you had a big new film come out in america and often wouldn't get released in the uk for three four months maybe right and the yeah and the same was true of the, of the soundtracks so you got a like a new star wars film the soundtrack album to that would be available in america but wouldn't get a domestic release for maybe you know the same period of time to tie in with when the film came out so there was a little opportunity there where you could buy 500, 1,000 sometimes, and they would take them, all those shops. And the label grew out of that because there were certain titles where they sort of disappeared. And you think, well, if we started manufacturing them, then we could carry on supplying that market. And, and uh, I joined it around that time. Uh, I think 88 it was. And um, so the label was built up and then the distribution side sort of faded away to the point where it, it, it doesn't exist anymore but um but yeah so we've always stayed in that genre yeah um which is a mix of as you will see current soundtracks new and archive where we can where we find them just occasionally you'll hear something somebody might say well i don't know who owns the rights but we think those tapes might be available and sometimes it happens the other way, where you, you know who owns the rights, but then you have to do a bit of digging to find out where the tapes are, which is why the whole Fanderson thing is, is such a joy, because it, without the sterling work of um, Ralph and Tim and, and the rest of it, you wouldn't have this rich source of material to get these releases. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to Ralph in just a few moments, because there's no doubt that Ralph played a, a huge part in uh, recovering a lot of the Barry Gray uh, music that we know and love. Tim, you'll probably bear me out with this one. I think the frustration for a lot of fans, going back to the time that David's talking about here, the 1980s, and if we cast our mind further back to the 1970s, it was very frustrating, wasn't it, to get 
the theme tunes and music from our favourite films and shows, not just getting the music, but getting the original version of that music. Yes, as you say, it was very frustrating. I guess it was no strings attached, and I think they were a derivative of some of the Century 21 albums. And so that, you know, they were special recordings and some quite nice recordings. But I think there was always this niggle that it wasn't quite the same as you'd heard on screen. And, and as you say, frustrating, you know, from that from that respect. So. So, yeah, it was I, I think when Ralph discovered uh, or was contacted about these tapes in this lockup, you know, it was an absolute treasure trove. And, uh, and then subsequently, you know, we've, we we realised that um ITV or, or Polygram or ITC at the time didn't have those tapes because they they were in Barry's possession. Mm. And, and, and for that matter, they were in a lockup, not in his actual <laughs> possession. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a real treasure trove. And I, I can only imagine how Ralph and Kathy must have felt when they discovered all of these tapes. You know, they were in a pretty poor state. But, you know, there, there's been very few tapes that weren't salvageable. And, you know, obviously we've been able to do a lot more with the, dis- uh, the digital restoration and the transfers of the tape. So, yeah, it's, it's the whole process has been a real joy from, you know, as you said, from going to very few recordings available to, to this huge treasure trove. It was, it's been fantastic. With that music in your possession, you, you can do a lot with it. But obviously there's licensing. Now, David, you're talking about licensing music. Is that something very difficult to achieve? It, it can be. It, it's it's in it's in various elements because you you can be pretty sure of who owns the rights, and you can speak to people at the companies, and in some cases they need to find the paperwork that proves that they do own the rights, and if they have American companies who are obviously much more litigious or likely to be litigious than than the UK that you can be pretty sure that, that that if they can't find paperwork that says that they own it, they won't grant a license mm. to you uh, to issue it. With the UK companies, you spend time building up trust. I mean, the relationship we have with ITV is good, with BBC, when we, we've done a lot of those things as well. But it, it does come down to, I mean, obviously something like ITV is a much bigger target than, say, we are. So if, for whatever reason, some company comes out and says no we own these they're more likely itv than they would so it's but i sorry that's slightly off the, off the topic i mean it's it's not it's not difficult but you need to get certain things in place and they are more likely to license to a company that is obviously out there distributing and will um be make it more economically viable for them to do it and if you say you're like a, a sole person who's who just says, oh, I want to license this for this home video sort of thing, they say, no, we don't, we can't, we can't do that. But possibly it would could come through some other entity. Yeah. So yeah, there are problems involved, and you get around it, and you've been doing it for long enough. You know who to talk to and how the thing works, and make sure royalty structures are in place, and then generally everybody's happy. Yes, and uh, having a good reputation as well, building up a reputation over time with those companies helps. Uh, it, it does, and I think, you know, certainly with this, this new series of the of Barry Gray stuff that we're doing, that was, we'd, we'd already done a few projects with ITV, 
uh, like a couple of years ago. And it just seemed like we kind of wanted to, to do more of it. And I think we had done for quite a few years because when we did those first set of releases, I think for as many shows as we wanted to, we, you know, the one we wanted to do was UFO. And it was, it was an odd deal then because I remember we were involved with Carlton as it was then. And then it was, it was, um, it was uh, Granada and then ITV yes. Ventures and the and the problem there was and this is no nothing to do with against ITV but they didn't really have a music licensing department and so it was difficult to get anybody to agree to anything mm. and I think that's why that first set of releases tailed off uh, and we didn't we didn't do any more so so when we'd, we'd done a few other projects um, like the soundtrack to Shetland and uh, Vera and then they kind of, and I think it was the the animated series, the Thunderbirds are go. That kind of kicked off a whole lot of other conversations, and it and it kind of helped us to get back in there to say, yeah, fine, look, we'll do the Thunderbirds are go. We like you know what the Ben and Nick were doing with that series, and and that was fine. But it gave us the opportunity to go in and say, yes, but can we get can we look at this other stuff? Can we look at classic Thunderbirds? Can we look at the other things? And eventually said, well, yes, all right, no, that's 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 quite good. So um, then once we'd agreed some basic terms, we were able to have conversations with Ralph, Tim and Mike. Mike did a, a set of mock-ups uh, for the release just to kind of get a look and a feel and had various conversations with the brand team, went in to meet them, talked about various ideas. The brand team being a different setup than the music licensing team, um, and then we had we got the deal in place and then we said right well let's start with ufo and let's get it going so yes and there we are we're we're well on the way fireball is out next week which is very exciting okay. we did our little seven inch single just before christmas which is doing very well and um and lots more to do excellent That's tim fantastic. tim where'd you come in on this well um uh it, it's been fantastic obviously to 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 bring um uh, the music to a wider audience through Silver Screen and David and I think we were quite lucky in the beginning just releasing the the music through the club um, that that took away some of the obstacles if you know uh, for, from being a commercial release it was relatively simple in that it was dealing with uh, with I think Polygram initially and then and then Carlton and and Sony ATV for the publishing and so I think I wouldn't say we, we didn't slip under the under the wire, but you know it, I think we were we were less of a, a problem I think than if we'd been doing it commercially. So that was that was from our point of view it was brilliant because it enabled us to to fund and get the music out there to begin with, and then obviously that has enabled us to do commercial stuff through Silver Screen, which has has been has been great. Yeah, and also I should say just just that my conversations with with the brand team particularly, and certainly some of the um, music licensing people, that it was made very clear on both sides between us and them that there was no way that Fanderson wouldn't be involved at every stage of the way because the brand team recognised certainly that was made clear to me that Fanderson is an amazing asset to them. As, as the font of all knowledge. I mean, you know, yes. the, in terms of stills, uh, various assets, and of course the music. So it's it's it was it was great to be. You, you feel your 
you're being plugged into a pre-existing team of, of knowledge on the one hand with Fanderson and then rights ownership with ITV. And so ultimately, whenever, whatever the artwork that Mike puts together, we have to go through the brand team and they, they've never not approved anything. They may have made a few changes to various words in the text or queried a few little things here and there, but they've generally loved what it is that's been doing. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think it's brilliant it, that Mike, Mike's been able to be involved because, you know, again, he knows the imagery inside out. And, and yeah, and, um, and it just, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, right at the start, you know, when we were, we were doing this, um, and I think it was Ralph who, who suggested Mike and and we thought you know at Silver Screen we thought well it, it just we kind of need that because it's no I mean we've got an in-house designer and he does a great job with what we do but I don't think he's ever seen a Fanderson show in his life so it's it's like why wouldn't you use Mike so I mean yes on our side the costs are more than perhaps on other projects but you end up with product that that, uh, that is absolutely right and everybody respects and I think that's important absolutely and I mean the fans. It's almost like a resource itself, a database, isn't it, Fanderson? You've got people who are knowledgeable at all sorts of different things. Why not use that, as David says? So when we come onto a project like a CD and uh, you're about to release something like Fireball, what is then the brief, David? How? What is it? Do, do you say to yourself, this is going to be one disc, two discs, four discs? You know, how would you go forward with the plan? This is why, the, for for me, the these releases are so brilliant because I don't do any work at all. It's all down to t- Tim and Mike. I just say, we agree, okay, what's the next one going to be? The suggestion is, yeah, okay, that's fine. I think right at the start we said we want to make these kind of commercial and so if we can get it, the key, the key tracks within the space of an hour or about an hour, and to make it a, a nice mix. So it's something that you would you would pop the CD in the player or listen to on your computer or whatever, and it plays around and out, and it sounds great, and it's a variety of styles. It can be the light, uh, light entertaining, radio jazz kind of stuff. It can be the dramatic action music. It can be all of these things, because I think that's an important element that you leave the disc wanting more rather than feel that I can't listen to any more of this. It's going on for too long. But I think it also demonstrates what an amazing composer Barry Gray was, that mm. he could write in such a variety of styles and call on some amazing musicians as well. Some of the soloists and things on those are really, are really interesting. So I think yeah, I mean, the session musicians, uh, you know, were, we, were, were big session musicians yeah, in their no, day. And, and, yeah. and I'm sure, you know, Barry would, would credit them greatly with what, what they uh, contributed. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. And I, so I, th- I think that's important to get across. And also we're working in the commercial retail world. So I think it's these should just play like, I, mean, I suppose that the idea is they are the albums that would have come out at the time of the series if, if they could have done. It is more the point. Whereas, of course, in those days, those early recordings that were referred to earlier, the, the Barry Gray and his orchestra, as it was called, would go into the studio and record the theme from Thunderbirds or Stingray as a commercial release for the Piccadilly label, I think it was, which was part of Pi. And of course, that whole catalogue eventually got sold to, well, I guess it's sitting in Universal Records now. And then that no strings attached, 10 inch always comes out in some shape or other. And and, and as you say, for a long time, those were the only versions you could get. Um, it's been great. I mean, it's really been uh, great, you know, 
and, and lovely to work with David because we've been given the latitude to 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 make some of those decisions and and try and come up with something that is appealing to the general listener. I think when we're doing a Fanderson al- album, you'll know, Ros. You know, when we've worked together, yes, it's it's the minutiae. It's every every intimate detail of it and <laughs> and, and uh, you know as far as it you know goes to to researching a note that came from a previous series you know it will be quite extensive but this is you know it's very different and it is it's it's nice just to be given the yes. freedom to go and go and 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 perhaps just look at it from a little bit of a different perspective and think well you know we don't necessarily need that very short cue in there unless it links something together well. We need to kind of come up with a flavour for the shows, because because I guess if you're if you're just a casual viewer and and you buy a record uh, or a CD or download whatever, you want to immediately hear those themes that you remember and recognise. Yes. And and I think that's that's probably the angle we come from. And I suppose having gone over these things so many times, you know, uh, as you know, with, with UFO, we got onto our third Fanderson release. And, <laughs> and, and uh, as, uh, as as my business partner, um, Glenn says quite often, I don't believe the wheel can turn much further <laughs> on this. I've heard <laughs> him say that do. so many times. I really have heard but... Glenn say that so many times <laughs> about how, you know, how the wheel can keep turning on Space 1999 after, what, 47 years or so. But it does, yeah. and people are still yeah. interested in it. And people yeah. will still... There, there's a hunger out there, it seems, mm. to, to buy this material and to add it to their collection. So obviously it's got to be very good... As a, as a visual presentation, as we've talked about Mike and the design work there. And Tim, you, you, you've said about a flavour of it. What do you actually personally look for when you're working on one of these silver screen releases? I mean, I think probably I'd say I'd, it's a bit more difficult to be, if you've got a favourite show, it's a bit more difficult to be objective. I think you with Space 1999, that was the show that I grew up with and I know very well so it's very it's that that's a little bit more difficult i think i mean obviously now i i know the music quite intimately because we've been through it so many times with 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 all of the shows so it becomes easier and easier to to try and pick out those main things but i think if you've just got a casual knowledge of a show you know like ufo you know i probably look at that more from a musical point of view than i do as a memory of the show of the series because you know i i i would i didn't grow up with that show you mm. know but there are some real standout themes and they're very they're, they're very easy to you know as a, just a, a casual listener to pluck those out and and the other you know the, the super marination shows again are, are similarly easier and i think with the silver screen releases I mean, we had discussions, obviously, David and I had discussions uh, and Ralph had discussions about what we would put on a commercial release. But we were kind of, uh, you know, sticking our finger in the wind a little bit and and, and, and feeling our way initially. And, and it, it started off as a themes album, which kind of expanded slightly. But then revisiting those with the subsequent silver screen releases, we've been able to to add some things that we maybe missed off or, you know, in conversations with, with, with other fans, enthusiasts, you know, 
people have said that they've missed a particular theme or or talked about a, a queue of music that didn't appear on Fanderson or on the commercial releases. And we've been able to add things to it just to kind of give it a little bit more value. I mean, obviously, not everybody bought those original releases, but it's 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 been great to actually add something additional to yes. these new albums that weren't on the previous releases. Is that right, so, David? Do you aim to have one or two surprises in the releases? If that if that happens, then that that's that's great. But I, I think it's yes. I wouldn't say it's an aim of ours, but I think the the principal thing when we started prior to UFO was to get across to people, not so much Fanderson people, but more to the general record buying public, that these weren't reissues of what had come out before on silver screen. I mean, obviously we started with the UFO, which we had never done before, but when it came to Thunderbirds, um, you know, you, you needed to get across, and we certainly did that in the in the press information that was sent out, that this was, this was more than just a rehash of the best bits of the two CDs we'd done before the 40th anniversary, which you were waving about just now. Um, you go back into your collection now. Um, so, so that was that was for us. That was, but that's a that was a retail choice. So, but I think it's good that if that thinking is happening, then then that's fine because although we're aiming mainly at a, a more commercial retail market. If there are p- people within Fanderson who are also buying the releases, well, that's great. But we can see from from other sales that there's people that are probably not po- members of Fanderson who who are just into TV music, yes, and uh, and buying these with other other releases that are coming out, which is which is equally good. So, yeah, I think for me, what's quite exciting is is having the vinyl releases as well. You know, that's that. You know, it's making a comeback, is it, though, Tim? Yeah, Would you yeah, say it's making yeah. a comeback? I, I, th- I think there's yeah. something quite nice about it. I'm not. I'm not. I, I I like the kind of the physical aspect of the vinyl and and almost the ritual that you have, you know, <laughs> because you've got some sort of short playing sides. You know, it's not like listening to to a playlist on your iPod or or your phone. You know, you're you, you've got to deliberately usually deliberately sit down to listen yeah, there's to that a, there's a commitment isn't there to vinyl you've got to be in one place for 20 yeah. minutes or an hour or whatever and listen yeah. to that thing yeah, yeah. Mm. and i mean it's not not so difficult at the moment in lockdown but but you know before it you know to actually you know be disciplined enough to actually sit down relax and listen to some music was was sometimes and for me it's a bit of a challenge you know you, you don't often do that and and it's quite it kind of forces you or pushes you into mm. meal yeah, time's yeah. a good time to put something on like that in the background mm. as you're sort yeah. of chatting around the meal table and i mean it's yeah. really it really can be quite nice having the the cds playing cds themselves are they still as popular as they ever were most people seem to download music these days david yes popular by do you mean in terms of sound quality or just in general perhaps sales both both uh, well, that's an argument I don't want to get into. There's, there's, <laughs> there are people who swear by vinyl and there are people who swear by CD. I, I, so I'm not going to go on that one. But, yeah, generally across retail, yes, no, the CDs are, are definitely dropping off and have been for like two or three years. I mean, it's just... But I think, you know, one could one could take a look at that and say, yes, but the argument may be there were too many being released anyway you know, if you look at what was coming out about 10 years ago, mm. 
or, or more when the power, the commercial power was in, in the hands of the record companies, where if you wanted to have a certain track, purchase a certain track or something, you, you were forced into buying a CD to get that song that you wanted because there was nothing else. Now with the advent of downloads and, and, and downloads is actually disappearing, it's more streaming, then the, the, the power is now within the hands of the consumer. Uh, arguably is, is is right so I think there was when once that started to happen there was always going to be less physical product being out there then vinyl started to come back because it's more of a it's more of a, a lifestyle choice I've seen it referred to it's it's a thing that you 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 want to, to display somewhere and um, I think I read somewhere a survey in America I think it was that said um, people in a record shop, 25% uh, of, of people that were asked this question, uh, only 25% actually played the LP that they had bought. Mm. Um, otherwise, it's just something that looks great on the shelves or, or, or whatever. I but to come back to... Yeah. From from uh, the design point of view, it's oh, lovely God, to yes. have that kind of real estate. You know, you've got a decent size. Oh, it's uh, much more fun doing an yeah. LP layout than it is a CD booklet. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure that, you know, obviously you come at it from a very different angle to the to the Fanderson angle and the Fanderson releases. For Fanderson, uh, you know, speaking to, to Stephen at Fanderson and, and selling their, their CDs, I think they quite like that. Obviously, we haven't had the opportunity to release anything as downloads. But, but I think for an enthusiast, I think to actually have something physical there where you've got a nice booklet... Yes, and you've got having something to design. hold in your hands. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, I think that appeals to that market more than the casual listener, perhaps. You know, you don't necessarily, you know, you're going to enjoy the music for the music's sake if you're just a casual listener. It's quite nice to have something physical to possess. And the, 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 the vinyl is similarly attractive, you know. I think if you've got a lovely design, you know, on a decent-sized uh, product, then, then, yeah, it's very satisfying to... To yes. have that as a as a fan, I think. Going back to surprises, uh, and I've noticed this was Silver Screen's releases, and if we wind back a few years to Space 1999, when that was uh, released, the first series CD came out from Silver Screen. It had a track on it that I didn't have on the Fanderson copy at the time, which was the Solarium theme. And it did make me wonder about rights issues, which we've discussed as well. The Silver Screen UFO release has the trampoline track on it by the Spencer Davis group. Now obviously clearing the Barry Gray music rights for the CD is fairly straightforward to do but if you want to include Spencer Davis group or perhaps the Beatles which also featured in UFOs you've got to go a lot further haven't you David? Yes I was I was told in no uncertain terms that we couldn't release UFO unless the Spencer Davis track <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's trampoline you've got to have that trampoline track on now really um yeah that was that was quite easy to get a license on because it's not a track that's particularly well known now um and and uh we've licensed loads of things from uh, was it universal i can't remember who owned that now i think it was um but yeah trying to get i mean no you wouldn't even bother asking to try and get any beatles tracks or anything led zeppelin stones anything like that um 
I'm, I'm wondering if it was because it was ATV music, wasn't it, at the time, the Beatles? There's a famous picture of the Beatles standing outside um, EMI House, um, which was the home of ATV music, I do believe, Tim. Oh, OK. You, you would know better than me, but yeah. Was yeah. that in Manchester Square? Or we Manchester Square, that? that was the one. Yeah, that's, well, that's where EMI Records used to be based, yes. Yes, and uh, there's this photograph of the Beatles outside, but it did say something about ATV music, and I thought, oh, this ties in with uh, Salou Grade, and if uh, his company owned the rights at the time, that's possibly how the Beatles ended up in UFO in the first place. Yeah, possibly, although I think it works slightly differently now, but you can still use... Uh, commercial recordings in TV shows. Um, it's under what they call a, a blanket license. I mean, it's actually out of interest. So a DVD of that episode of UFO, is that Beatles song still in oh, there Oh, yes, now? it is, yes. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's no, there's never, ever been an issue with that, which again surprises me because, like you say, there are a lot of DVDs which have third-party copyright music yeah. in that has to be replaced. Yes, that's quite common. So I was kind of surprised when you... But, mm. well, they you good. Perhaps the time yeah. will come. So we got Fireball XL5. Uh, what have you got in store for the fans with that one, David? Let's have a little teaser. God, you're actually asking the wrong person. I know I know what it looks like. <laughs> I know what it sounds like. I know there's CDs sitting in our office which, in Camden, which I've not actually set foot in so far this year. I think the vinyl's due to turn up. I think we're just about getting in in time early next week but surprises i don't know i don't know i honestly tim you presumably have been working on it yeah yeah um i uh, for anyone uh that's 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 got the fantasy release i think that there'll be all the all the main themes that have previously been released on Fanderson. And of course, the we've got the, the single version of Fireball as well, uh, which is quite nice to have. Which, uh, as David said, has been released as a single um, on a lovely, is it transparent orange vinyl? So yeah, that, that's that's yeah. good. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and 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 all of the main themes. I mean, there's the, the the great hypnotic theme from the hypnotic sphere, and yeah, and and some great sort of jazz tracks as well. But yeah, just uh, a a good, again, as we said, uh, a good sort of feel for the series, you know, the main themes. I think with Fireball, some of the stuff that we, we've tried to limit a little bit is some of the atmospheric synthesizer music, which does sometimes go on for a little bit. <laughs> well, it was the early days of synthesizer. We've got a flavour of that in there. When, you know, it's not something yeah. we've deleted, but we've, we've shortened some of those tracks a little bit just to make it a little bit easier to listen to. I think it's a fun album, I think, that and Supercar. Those those are just, just a jolly to listen to. And it's a nice mix of uh, the lighter stuff and, you know, the suspense music as well. It's good. Yeah. I'm always amazed at, you know, at how much I enjoy Supercar. I mean, that's, you know, that that's, that's obviously a, a very old show, but it's a, also a derivative of, of a lot of the music that appears much later in some of the other Anderson shows as well. But there's some great themes there, and I think they they may have approached Supercar in a slightly different way. In that they, I think they recorded themes that were then edited and edited into the episode by the music editor or perhaps by Barry Gray himself. Um, so it's actually quite nice, you know. They they they've been composed 
as sort of relatively lengthy themes. Whereas I think with some of the other uh, shows, you get um, music that's scored for a particular scene or for a particular piece of action, which sometimes can be a little bit short. Did you have any problems with remastering any of that? Because you are going back a fair way with Supercar and uh, Fireball XL5. These are shows now that are 50 years old. Are there any remastering problems or do you ever find that there are tracks that you're specifically looking for that are missing? Well, yes, unfortunately, there are, there are one or two that are missing. I mean, having now sort of visited all the shows we've been incredibly lucky there's very little that's missing but there are a few little gems out there still to be found or uh you know that, that we need to source in a different way but yeah there, there are one or two uh cues that are missing from from all of the shows and just sometimes very short cues uh sometimes atmospheric pieces that may have just you know the the, the tape may have been lost or or filed in a different place so yeah there are one or two things but then we, we're discovering stuff all the time, you know, again, revisiting those tapes and, and listening to uh, the, the music on hard drives. Um, and with different people's input, you know, we've, we've discovered other things that we previously thought weren't available. As far as the mastering is concerned, where they kind of multi-tracked for the, for the electronic pieces of music, because they're multiple recordings, they're also very, very noisy. So that sometimes has been a challenge. Uh, the early shows actually sometimes has been surprisingly easy to deal with from uh, from a remastering point of view. Yeah. Um, most of them are mono, problems. though, aren't they, Tim? On the they most are, of them are. Yes. Yeah. There's very little in the early shows that's 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 uh, multi-track or stereo. But yeah, that yeah, they're sometimes sometimes challenging from from a noise point of view. But the 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 show, I think we had the. The, the most difficulty with was Stingray because a lot of that music was instead of re-recording pieces to, to, to fit in terms of time, they seemed to do a lot more editing and uh, editing in those days was a razor blade and a piece of splicing <laughs> tape. Di- um, and diagonal course, edits yeah. on the tapes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And those, those have deteriorated over time. So those, those were a lot more challenging and, and it's, it, it often meant trying to source the original uh, recording or trying to patch up sort of sometimes artificially those poor edits. So that, that that's probably, Stingray probably has been one of the most challenging yes. um, series to deal with in that way. Uh, but the early shows, they didn't really do quite as much of that. But, but, but then from the electronic music, particularly in Fireball, uh, we were dealing with, you know, the early days of electronic music where something would be multi-tracked and you'd have multi-generational recordings, which, you know, needed some work. I know we've had some trouble with the Fanderson releases and trying to trace a certain track back right to the very beginning to get the original source version on it and then create a particular edit. Are you working this way with any of the silver screen releases? Well, we've been we've been very lucky in that we've we've had the the remastered tracks that were produced for the Fanderson records, you know those those have been our source. With the occasional little gem that we've we've discovered mm. that we've been able to put on the Silver Screen albums, but but generally speaking, uh, it's meant less work there. But yeah. of course, each time you visit something, and with the technology in in uh, computer programs and and restoration software, 
you know, you're able to do more. You're able to to clean something up. You're able to do a more subtle EQ and add reverb and things like that just to kind of enhance it slightly. And I think that's each time we we visit those those uh, recordings, we're able to do just that little bit more. So probably, you know, at the moment, the Silver Screen releases are probably, you know, the best recordings that are out there at the moment. To get you to yeah. buy them all again, that's all it is. <laughs> yeah, just don't tell Glenn, he'll be saying... <laughs> Yeah, that wheel keeps turning. <laughs> well, it turns and it turns, doesn't it? David, do you have any way of measuring which are your best sellers? Some shows better than others. I take it that you're going to go right through the Anderson gamut of shows. Oh, that's the plan, yes. Amongst all the, uh, all the involved parties, as which one we were going to start off with, and everybody said the same thing, and that was UFO. Uh, which did really well, so that was that was very encouraging. And I guess the worry was something like Thunderbirds would be the one that we would probably sell the least, because that's the one we've probably gone back to most often with two previous albums and then that 40th anniversary one. But that sold really well, actually better than we thought it was going to do. So we thought, okay, we're expecting things like Supercar and Fireball not to do as well and that's that's fine too i mean the deal with with itv is 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 quite flexible so so some will do well some won't do that well so it's 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 good you know it's 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 working i think and it's and it's proving to us that there's there's still a lot of great fondness and affection for this music and if, if it had been a case of the first you know the first two or three and we'd hardly sold that many we might have thought, oh, have we made a bad decision here? But um, And because also, as, as Tim was saying earlier, and that's absolutely right about this sort of genre and, if you like, uh, cult sort of material, it's the physical product that people mm. want. You have an emotional attachment to these shows. You want you want the DVDs, you want the CDs, the toys, anything that's, that's available. The, there's no interest in downloads and streaming. I've not mm. really looked at the figures on, on UFO um, yet, but I think... Yeah, maybe the, the theme has been downloaded and streams quite a bit, but we don't expect there to be much revenue from on the downloaded streaming market. It's, there just isn't that that sort of level of interest there. It's definitely the physical product, which is why we wanted to commit to vinyl right at the start across everything, you know, so that people get the sense that there is a series of releases. We don't know yet in what order. I know what the next one's going to be after Fireball, but we don't yet know in, in what what order the rest of it's going to do um and we'll just carry on because uh, i think it's it's good stuff well i've got a request from uh, one of my previous podcast contributors um i'm referring to david hirsch and i know he's going to be listening to this podcast today <laughs> and i've got another prop here in the studio with me to hold up to the camera and uh, this is the original RCA oh, yes. release from the 1970s of Space 1999. It was only a very short album. It was 15 minutes per side, roughly, yeah. in length. I think I've but, got um, that LP somewhere. Yes, I mean, just look at the cover art on it and this beautiful gatefold that opens up to display, you know, just so many photographs, colour, good quality colour photographs and... Even after so many years, and even though I've got the CDs, David, this is still something to treasure. 
Yes, but isn't that isn't that that release that there's tracks on there that have actually got nothing to do with Space Nine? <laughs> isn't that the famous, yes, famous well, album? They just I can tell you what ITC show, show they are in, that they do appear in. They appear in Return of the Saints. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, you're right. It's one of the, um, one of the writers. Just, they yeah. probably just had the tapes laying around at the time. They'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll shove that on there. An interesting story about those two tracks that you mentioned is that Barry Gray got credited for them. He got credited for music he didn't actually create because these tracks were, I think, library tracks, like some of the ones used in Space 1999 that we've sourced from either the Bruton or the DeWolf libraries that there were at the time, yeah. Tim. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and Chapel, they, they, they used the Chapel library quite extensively. Um, but yes, so, so hopefully. So, are you saying that you, when we when we get around to doing Space Ninety Nine, you want you want those dodgy tracks on there as well? All the dodgy <laughs> tracks, a, a re-release. Because I think what you're saying, you, you hear about oh, you know, when we re-release Thunderbirds, we don't know it's going to sell because we've already done Thunderbirds to death. The thing we've got to bear in mind: there are those people who weren't able to get the earlier copies or b before they sold out or if it's the case of this particular album they may not even been old enough at the time to have picked it up i i went all the way to new york city for this <laughs> right. that, is key. that was yes. only because i could that was only because i could right. okay. <laughs> well, that puts us in an awkward situation then doesn't it so, <laughs> but yeah yep, that's a request from david hirsch yeah, let's have that album re-released, you know, for wow. a new generation of listeners, exactly as it was. Yes. He's got the, the assembly for that that version. Yes. Right, well, yes. that's. I hope he enjoys it. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's, that's actually going to happen. Okay, so David, you've heard it from the man himself. The future for Silver Screen Records, which way is it going to go? Uh, onwards and upwards, I hope. But uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I think looking at the general catalogue, um, there's definitely much more of a, a move towards streaming and downloads. But I think that's more the case of, say, newer TV shows, current shows and things. We find, say, on like with uh, the current Doctor Who series, there's definitely a shift more towards streaming the albums and downloading certain tracks than there is in the physical product but that's 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 kind of inevitable i think um, those releases particularly certain things where if we're talking about classic tv shows maybe classic movies i think the reason that makes them classic that makes them have that cult following means that you need to do the physical product because that's the association that people that want it's either a reissue of something that came out in the 60s 70s or 80s or whatever or it's something that um, has never come out before i mean to take for instance that robinson crusoe album that we did all those years ago that's never stopped selling i mean not like millions and millions but it's uh, every year it's still in catalogue this is the german was... series is it with robert hoffman the black and yes, white series yes. with all that lovely music in it yes Ooh. so that's something and yes. that was a, that was a chance encounter a chance at emi music publishing as it was then who just said he represented this composer italian composer no french composer who had these tapes real to real tapes he had them sitting in italy it's for a tv show he'd done in the 60s did we think there was any interest 
in putting them out and I said oh what's the TV show and he said Adventures of Robinson Crusoe and the moment he said that of course I think, god my god you know there was only ever a seven inch single released at the time and this guy had I don't know 40 50 minutes of music which we painstakingly transferred uh, from reel to reel onto digital and then made that first album and then subsequently when Network did their DVD release mm. um, I had a call from Tim he said in the uh, Tim Beddoes, sorry, not Tim Mallet, um, uh, the other Tim who's involved <laughs> in all this, that when they were uh, sourcing the prints for the for the DVD, they'd found other reels of music. Oh. So we reissued the CD with all this extra extra music on it. And now we're looking at um, doing that as a vinyl probably later on this year. Fantastic. Tim, what would you like to see? Uh, Were you a fan of this Space 1999 album or did you really loathe it? I I like the cover. Say no, say no, Tim, say no. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't give in. Uh, Well, I've got got a a slight hope there might be something in the future. But yeah, no, that, of course, I'd like to see Space 1999. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to carrying on with the, with the, uh, the Anderson releases, but um, going back to what David was saying, uh, it's kind of, I guess, Doctor Who's kind of interesting because you've got the modern Doctor Who and and the classic Doctor Who. And how does that really work? Because I, I think you've released vinyl albums of, of Doctor Who. Yes. But are you releasing are you releasing the modern sh- uh, series on vinyl as no. well? Or, or is it just, that's no, just downloads? We, we, we tried a few of those. We tried a few of those and it mm. didn't work. Okay. But with the archive stuff, yes, that that that's, there's definitely a market. Mm. I don't um, think the music in modern shows, I've got to say, is as memorable as that of the shows made years ago. I think they went to a certain level on TV and film productions to make the music like earworms that would get into your head and you'd be humming that theme or the incidental music over and over again. I don't feel that happens with modern productions so much no I, I i agree i mean the the you don't get good tv themes anymore just I, generally i just don't think you do i think that it may actually with with some of the more recent shows some of the netflix shows and some of the shows coming out of america where they're actually spending a little bit t- of time on the title sequences yes um, i think you're getting more themes from some of those very modern shows but i think there was a period in you know the 90s and early 2000s that where the music was just very atmospheric and and you know someone once said well you shouldn't notice the music you shouldn't notice the music in a in a film or a tv show but actually it mm. it's it's great well, to i would have question that i would question that something. why yeah. because i can l- listen to an anderson track and you and i we both worked together tim on the Fanderson albums and I can say oh that's a lovely piece of music and that was in that episode that episode that episode and that episode and and I can think through Star Trek in much the same way or or um other ITC shows and I think if I was if it's a modern show now I, I can't relate to the music at all in that same way no. I think what's what has turned that around a bit and there may be other better examples, but I think Game of Thrones has actually mm. done a lot to really bring back TV theme music and the fact that it has, and they spent a lot of money on that animated sequence mm. that, that starts each episode. And uh, and I think that's 
there's that's got a lot to answer for i think in terms of even to the point of you know the concert taking that a concert of game of thrones music on the road they were following on from lord of the rings which did much the same thing but I think it's just made people a bit more aware of of, uh, of TV theme tunes. And you look at YouTube as well, the number of mm. versions of people doing, whether <laughs> yes. they're playing it at home, on the piano or whatever. I think that's good. I think that's the resurgence of interest in TV, TV music. And I think that's a good, positive, healthy thing. Yeah. I mean, there's some great, I think it was a multi-tracking cello version i think uh, oh have you seen the cello yeah, yeah yes, there's one fantastic. this woman who does she's like films herself eight different she her version of uh, i think is it darth vader's theme or from oh, yeah. empire strikes back is, <laughs> and it's 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 really good and she plays it with like she's got a darth helmet darth helmet darth vader <laughs> helmet on and um uh, it's really good but i think that's that's great that's that's uh, ingenious and it's a good use of um uh, of, of YouTube as, as a presentation channel, but uh, but it's using known film and TV music, which is great. I think you're yeah, right. Think... Yeah, absolutely. Another problem with modern TV productions, perhaps you'll bear me out on this as well, Tim. I think the brief to TV producers when they're making a show now is that the title sequences are only allowed to be something like 32, 35 seconds long, which yeah, doesn't think, allow for a time for a decent, that, yeah. for a decent theme tune. Mm. That is changing. I think with, you know, with with Netflix, where you don't have a, a particular time slot to fill, mm. they're able to be a little bit more relaxed about that. And you know, the, the, with Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and and other companies like that, you can skip the title sequence if you want. So they they they're allowing, you know, the the latitude to to produce a decent theme. And I'm going back to what David was saying about Game of Thrones, you know, there's some fantastic incidental mm. themes in that show, you know, very, very much going back to the the era of the, the Anderson shows, you know, where you'd have some very strong themes that weren't necessarily the theme of the show, you know, it might be a variation or it might be something completely different. And, you know, as I can imagine a concert was fantastic because, it, you know, there was a wealth of material to draw on. And I, hopefully we will start to see more, shows where you've got stronger themes you know and, and yes. that, you know there are a number now another th cd release i see constantly requested which is over at the fanderson facebook is for the barry gray concert from about 10 years ago to be released as a cd now that's an idea but again i do believe there are music rights issues with that uh, i would imagine that's to do with payments for the performers. Uh, for the musicians. Yeah, yes. that, could, that could be quite pricey. Well, it's been a fascinating podcast and uh, I'm sure listeners eager to know what's coming out from Silver Screen in the coming months. So 2021, I think, is going to be an interesting year. Hopefully we're going to see an end to this pandemic as well. But for now, I just want to say a big thank you today to David Stoner, Director, Label and Licensing at Silver Screen Records Limited, also to Tim Mallet, who's a producer, editor, and much, much more as well. Do, gentlemen, come back and see us again very soon. Happy thank to. You, yeah, it's a pleasure. Silverscreen.com is the website address and from there you can go on and order any soundtrack you like that's in the current catalogue, including the new Firewall XL5 album that's about to be released. 
And thanks once again to David Stoner for appearing on the podcast today. And also to Tim Mallett. A treat now, if like me, you're a fan of Space 1999 in the second series episode, The Exiles, guest stars Peter Duncan and Stacey Dorning. I got the chance to have a little chat with Peter when he was due to make a visit to South End's Cliffs Pavilion for a production called Million Dollar Quartet last year. Sadly, the play didn't go ahead due to the coronavirus pandemic, but we did get a chance to reflect on his appearance as Cantor in Space 1999. Joining me now by phone, I'm delighted to say it's Peter Duncan. Welcome. Very nice to be here. <laughs> you must be about the third or fourth former Blue Peter presenter that I've interviewed as well, which is which is great. Well, only another 24 to go then. <laughs> <laughs> only another 24 to go. Although I've got to say to you that Blue Peter was a little bit past my time. I, would, I, I was a teenager of the 70s. So my memories of you are wearing a yellow and red lycra costume in space 1999 <laughs> <laughs> i've still got it i wear it every sunday evening after <laughs> the flockton flyer which was all about oh, yeah. steam engines <laughs> it's all, all pre-blue pt yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and king cinder which is which was about motorbikes i think yeah with the extraordinary leslie manville who's now um our, one of our top actress and British actress, really. Yes, <laughs> I know. I'm a big fan, but it got you to meet international stars there, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. Yeah, but no, Bar- Martin Landau was an extraordinary actor, and I think later on in his career he, he won a, a special Oscar. So, yeah, yes, it was good working with him. Yes. Yeah, he was a sort of a contemporary of Marlon Brando and all that. So he's passed, these people tripped through your lives and, you know, never forget them. Fanderson is the world's only official appreciation society for the work of Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, with its own club magazine, exclusive merchandise and more. If you'd like more information, please see our website at fanderson.org.uk. This is a Fanderson copyright production. I've been Ros Connors, and take care and stay safe. <laughs>